0: It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today on Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, what are the expectations for Desmond Ritter as quarterback of the Falcons? And it was a really good win, a much needed win for the Braves last night. Good start to their series up in New York. We're going to talk about all that and more. It is Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked On Sports Atlanta. This is hitting hard with John Chuckery, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, and it starts now. Welcome into another edition of Hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked On Sports Atlanta. We thank you so much for being a part of the show. We ask you to head over to youtube.com, put in the browser, Locked On Sports Atlanta, find us, subscribe to our page, Growing Every Day. Appreciate everybody being a part of the new community that we're growing over there. Give us a review, tell us what you think about the show. And of course, I want you to follow me on my personal Twitter page. That would be at jmch316. I told you yesterday that my favorite pick for the Atlanta Falcons in this draft was Desmond Ritter the quarterback, I thought two things. One is they needed to address quarterback. I did not feel like kicking the can down the road and hoping and waiting for next year and you can get in the mix for one of the top guys is a smart strategy. If you need quarterback and you need young quarterback and you don't have it figured out, go get a quarterback. Now, not just waste a pick on a quarterback, but go legitimately get a quarterback that you draft and invest in. So I thought that was important. The other part is, too, I like Ritter, and I like his skill set, and I talked about, I think, the value of where they got him from, and he's a winner in this, that, and the other. So what is the expectation? I'm hearing a lot of chatter about, well, maybe Ritter can come in and start and do this, and then. Slow your roll, everybody. Slow your roll, okay? There's a lot to like about Desmond Ritter, but if we're being honest about it, okay, first off, Desmond Ritter – has to improve his accuracy as a quarterback. Last year at 64.9%, the year before was better, 66.2%. Before his college career, he's a 62% completion. Now, that's not a bad number in the NFL, but if that's your starting point in college, you've got to get that up. If you're going to be an effective quarterback in the NFL, you better be 65 86%. The top guys pushed towards 70, but to the competition level that Desmond Ritter saw. Now, understand, look, because of how good Cincinnati has been the last couple of years, he did have games against Georgia, Alabama, Notre Dame, Indiana. He did play power five teams over the course of the last couple of years. But a lot of his bones are made from Central Florida, Memphis, UConn, whatever school you want to throw, you know, Houston, which is a better than average conference. I'm not going to completely knock the conference because of the non power fives, it's got some of the best football, if not the best non power five conference in it. But there is some competition level that has to be factored in. There's always that curve of learning. Also, too, his offensive system that he ran in college. I mean, It's not a stay-in-the-pocket, push-the-ball-downfield. Now, Ritter's not a tuck-it-and-go, run-first kind of guy. You know, he can run the football, and actually his rushing yards last year dropped quite a bit from the season before, but, you know, that's a matter of developing as a quarterback. In the NFL, whether you like this or not, okay, we talk about running quarterbacks and mobile. You definitely want to have mobility. But the NFL isn't a tuck-it-and-run type of league. Guys get killed doing that in the league. You still in the NFL have to be able to stand in the pocket, navigate your way through it, and push the ball downfield. That's still the NFL game. It's not just run around, huck it all around, drop back, run for your life, throw it up in the air, and this, that, and the other. That crap doesn't work in the NFL. That'll get you That'll get you killed, and that'll make your career be knocked out in a heartbeat. Now, I know a lot of people have talked about the Russell-Wilson thing. Well, Wilson was a third-round pick and he came into Okay, let's remember a few things about the situation that Russell Wilson came into, okay? One is he had a 1,500-yard running back, double-digit touchdown guy. That kind of helps. Ain't nobody like that on this Falcons roster. He also had an offensive line that had Russell Okung, who was a Pro Bowl uh, guard, And then he also had the first-team all-NFL center in Max Unger. (laughs) So um, he had two outstanding offensive line. I apologize. Uh, Okun was a a tackle, not a guard. But he had a Pro Bowl tackle, and he had the first-team all-NFL center. Okay, with all due respect to the Falcons, they don't have multiple Pro Bowlers and first-team all-NFL guys running around to protect him. And then also adding the fact that their defense, you know, with Clemens and Urban... They had had two guys that combined for 20 sacks. Okay, the whole team didn't have 20 sacks. So many differences that it's not even comparable to the situation out there. The best thing for the Falcons is Ritter comes in. He learns the system. He works with Arthur Smith. He develops, you know, some things about NFL quarterbacks and tendencies that you have to get right, works on his accuracy, and slowly works himself in. Now, I do think that Ritter very much could play this year because history says that Marcus Mariota is a guy who's going to get hurt. You know, he's going to have the injury bug and he's going to find himself injured. So there could be a game or two and get through six to seven weeks of Marcus Mariota before Desmond Ritter would be pressed into duty. But it's not a good idea in my book that Desmond Ritter comes in and tries to win the job and start right away and all those kinds of things. And I understand if you have a third round quarterback, you're already looking at him as your guy. And there's always that overreaction. I get and understand that. But this is a guy, while he's got a lot of skills and he's got a lot of ability and he's a winner, has to work on certain things. You have to be more accurate in the NFL. You have to learn to play and navigate within the pocket in the NFL. You can't just run around for your life and roll out because... You've got elusive ability and just think you're just going to throw and run. It's not how the league works. Also, too, those windows of throwing the football. You know, you don't get guys just always running wide open and free because you're playing, I don't know, you're playing Navy. Okay. How many defensive backs from Navy? Yeah, I'm 50 years old. You know how many defensive backs from Navy I remember in the NFL? That'd be None. Okay, but those are the kinds of guys you play against in college. You won't get that luxury in the NFL. Windows are about that tight. You have to learn to throw in them. You have to learn to time the thing out. That's one of the things about Malik Willis that people are showing you on film is, hey, man, when he gets a guy going open, there's that time when he pats that football for just a second, throws and misses. Can't do that in the NFL. In the NFL, you got to take that ball. You see it, you got to throw it. You got to release that football. You can't afford to pat, and you can't do that in that league. It's too tight. So Ritter's a guy who's very smart, really skilled. But the best thing for the Falcons would be for him to ideally not have to play this year, but at least later in the season, second half of the season, if he gets some starts because of injury and things like that. But you got to let him grow and develop. Desmond Ritter starting right away for the Falcons is not a good thing especially when you look at this roster and this offensive line and the challenges that they have you're going to get a guy like that killed and you're going to crush whatever development that he can have all right when we come back um how's your confidence about terry Fontenot after this draft has it changed much has it stayed the same we're going to talk about my confidence level with terry Fontenot coming up it is hitting hard with john chuckrey on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Back with you on Hitting Hard with John Truckery on Locked On Sports Atlanta. We're reminding you, head over to youtube.com, put in the browser, Locked On Sports Atlanta, find our page, subscribe to it, growing every day. Appreciate everybody being a part of our new community that we are building here in Atlanta. And of course, I want you to follow me on my Twitter page. It is at JMCH316. It was a good weekend for the Falcons, right? Um, I'm gonna say that, going into this draft, I, and I said this on the show here, that I was cautiously optimistic about it. You know, Terry Fontenot is a guy who came over from the New Orleans Saints, really kind of, he worked with Mickey Loomis, but really ran their pro player personnel department, you know, basically finding finding pro players that are free agents and, and what fits and money and all that kind of stuff and, and bringing those guys in. So, you know that was main his main role and kind of assistant gm to loomis and all that kind of stuff but mickey loomis still the main guy in charge and you know if if we're being honest it's been a less than what felt like stellar first bit of terry Fontenot's tenure as gm now i have immense faith and confidence i didn't i didn't know what to expect from arthur smith and terry Fontenot after last year i think arthur smith and dean pease proved to me that they can coach they took a worse roster than the year before and found a way to win three more games with it and just had to put pieces and parts together to make this thing happen. So I thought they coached much better. They still had some work to do. They're still with some clock management and some time management things, but I thought they did their job. Now the all of the burden fell on Terry Fondo, who, if we're being honest, they didn't get a lot of their, out of their free agents. They found one really good free agent in Cordell Patterson, but by and large, didn't get much out of their free agent class. Their draft class did next to nothing. Um, top to bottom, you didn't get a ton. Yeah, I know Pitts was a 1,000-yard wide receiver or whatever, but let's be honest, his impact and only one touchdown didn't really change up the culture of the offense. This offseason, you know, I've had my issues with the fact that the Falcons have – they brought in Ryan Pace, the, the fired GM of the Bears, and, you know, we have 14 former Chicago Bears and players, coaches, front office personnel – And I'm kind of scratching my head like, why are we pulling from a bad organization? And then night one of the draft happened and we're back to pass catcher. So a lot of things that just kind of made me like, "Eh, okay. But I thought Terry Fontenot did himself well the rest of the draft. Am I more confident in Terry Fontenot? Yes. Um, They did change their college scouting department. That was one of the things that they did turn over that they kept everybody in place when they first came in, which is understandable. I mean, you've got a lot to figure out and a lot to have to do. You don't necessarily want to do that. But that was certainly their college scouting department over the last few years has been awful. There's no other way to describe it. Awful. They haven't gotten a lot out of any of their picks. First, second, third, no matter what it is, their picks have not panned out. So that change and then the draft do make me feel a little bit more confident about Terry Fontenot. I'm fully confident in Arthur Smith's ability to coach and Dean Pease's ability to coach defense. And and I think the fact that they brought Dean Pease in was a great hire to start with. But we'll find out in two or three years about what Terry Fondo really is. This, This draft class becomes very important because you're moving on and you're transitioning. Look, this is the first time since going into the 2008 calendar year or going into the 2008 draft, that you had as much instability in the roster as what you have. You know, we've gotten kind of spoiled about for the last, whatever, 14 years, 13, 14 years. We haven't had to worry about drafting a quarterback. They drafted one quarterback in Matt's tenure. You know, we didn't have to worry about too many things because, okay, you know, the roster was built. You made the big trade for Julio when you thought your offense needed to take a turn. And even as you moved on from Ronnie White and Tony Gonzalez, you brought other pieces and options in that kept that offense just kind of flowing and going and things like that. You worked on your offensive line. wasn't great, okay, but you did have a few pieces. Obviously, the Super Bowl year, you drafted a whole bunch of those guys on the defensive side and Grady and Dion and Neal, and you got a lot of production out of those guys. So it felt like we were playing with a roster that we were a good team, sometimes excellent team. But we were playing. We were a good team that we were trying to get that next level up. Well, now we're at crash and burn stage. Now the the plane is dove nose first into the ground and it's blown up, and we got to rebuild all the pieces. So this draft becomes immensely important, even more than last year. I mean, obviously, you want to see guys from last year's class really take a step forward. You want to see Richie Grant take a big step forward. Twenty three and a half percent of the snaps last year. That's not going to cut it for a second-round pick in the NFL. If that's all your guy can get on the field, you're not going to be in very good shape. So I expect, you know, obviously he'll take a step. There'll be other guys that are on the roster. The Jalen Hawkins of the world are going into their third year that were drafted by the last regime that you get some productivity out of. Jalen Mayfield can't be worse than what he was last year. Pitts, you hope, that takes another step up, and they figure out a way to get him open in the end zone for more touchdowns and this and the other. But this draft class right now has to produce. And I know you're going to get production out of Drake London. katie uh, you know, you're going to get production out of him. I don't know what level, but you've got plenty of guys who are going to come in and have the chance to make an impact. I mean, Ebicady is a guy who should come in and start at one of your outside linebacker spots and whose job is go crush the quarterback. And honestly, if you told me he got four, five, six sacks in his rookie year, wouldn't be super excited, but I wouldn't be completely disappointed by all that, considering how bad our defensive front is out of all of that. I think Troy Anderson's a guy who won't start right away, but over the course of the year can build himself into a growing role and may find himself as a starter later on. And then you've got some late round picks with The running back out of BYU, Algier, you've got the you know, Malone, the kid out of Western Kentucky, that if those guys can find some kind of role, can Malone be a guy who is a rotational pass rusher that can come in and pick you up a few sacks? Can Algier be a guy who can give you some short yardage situations and on third and two pick up a first down? Because you don't have that between the tackles automatic guy, unless you tell me that Allison or Something like that's going to you know, start to develop out there. But I feel better about where the direction of the franchise is headed. I still have my questions about the philosophy of our offense. You've put a ton of capital into pass catcher. You better use those guys. And I've seen people saying, well, you know, they're going to target London 125, 150 times. Your quarterback's never thrown more than 450 passes in a season. You gotta tell me that he's got got 150 targets out of 450 passes to one guy. I I find that hard to believe that a rookie is going to get targeted a third of the time, but that's people's craziness. And that's the stuff they throw out there for, you know, to consume and all that kind of stuff. But I feel better about the direction and I feel better about this draft. I like last year's draft, but it didn't kind of really pan out for the Falcons. They've got to hope that they get some production and look, if it, If it's not something where they start to find some home run pieces, you know, then Terry Fontenot's ability to lead this team and build this roster is going to become, you know, very much into question for all of it. So I feel better. I think we're moving in the right direction. I have a little bit more confidence in Terry Fontenot than I did really going into the draft. Let's hope that he really got this thing right because they need some impact players to get this roster on track and to turn this thing around. All right, coming back, uh, it was a really good night for the Atlanta Braves, and it was a very much needed night for the Atlanta Braves. We'll talk about that next as they win in Gotham last night. It is hitting Hard with John Chuckery on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Hitting Hard with John Chuckery here on the Locked On Sports Atlanta. Reminding you, please head over to youtube.com, put in the browser Locked On Sports Atlanta, and find our page. Subscribe to it. Check out the videos. Leave us a comment. Tell us what you think about it. Uh, always reading through the comments, uh, some fun stuff, and appreciate everybody being a part of our new and growing community. Also, want you to follow me on my personal Twitter page. You can reach me at JMCH316. All right, last night, man, that was a good win for the Atlanta Braves, and look, a a lot going on. The Braves came into this series six games back, had not played well in the nine games before. We talked about this yesterday on the podcast, just they needed to get right. I mean, four and five against three bad baseball teams and just a lot of frustration. But last night, they get into Gotham. Things don't go well early for the Braves. Max Freed gives up a run in the second, a run in the third. And it's like, okay, here we go again. We're down two nothing in this than the other. Then the game settles in. Riley hits a home run, a solo shot in the top of the fourth. Okay, now it's two to one. They add a couple more runs in the sixth inning, a couple more in the eighth. And the Braves win last night, five to two. Freed after, you know, he got bounced around a little bit and dinged up and he gave up a solo home run on it. He really settled in. You know, you look at his line, six innings, four hits, two earned runs, no walks, and six strikeouts. And I talked about yesterday. Braves have been walking way too many people. Well, they only gave up two walks last night. That was by Matsuk, who loaded up the bases, and then McHugh came in. But we'll talk about that in a second. But freed with no walks, not, not letting a two nothing game balloon into four nothing, five nothing. You kept it at two. You didn't let more base runners on. You didn't let the Mets expand that. And you hung in, you hung in, you hung in to where. Darno last night three hits hits a bleeder out to right that knocks in a run great at bat later on in the game just finding ways to get clutch hits when you had guys on base and that's been a problem for the Braves is runners in scoring position well you know last night you know they they knocked in some guys in scoring position they they took advantage of some of that they weren't great and were not standing but they were good enough last night to get it done, and that was a big win. Now, you know, Matsick takes over for Freed, walks a couple of guys, bases loaded. Colin McHugh comes in and just shuts down the door with the big strikeout. He only pitched a third of an inning and threw four pitches and had the strikeout, but that was huge. Their bullpen coming up big for them again, where there has been some moments this year that the bullpen's been... You know, kind of like that. Jansen comes in, he gives up the one hit, but he shuts down the door and a good win all the way around. And this is such an, I, I said split, but this is such an opportunity for the Braves to kind of reclaim some of their mojo and remind the Mets who the big boys are, okay? Remind the Mets that this isn't putting your little baby pants on and putting your diaper on and taking on Whatever, the Marlins or the Nationals or whatever goofball team, you know, that you're playing, this is the four-time division champion Braves. And boy, if the Braves can go in and take three out of four, that's a gut punch. I don't care if it is early May. These are games that are still important. These are games that still matter. And you're six back and you're trying to get basically that deficit and leapfrogging over teams trying to collapse all of that. So can't say enough good things about the gutty performance. Free just kind of sticking it out, you know. kind of dinged a little bit early in the game, wild pitch led to a run, the solo home run, but he hung in there and he threw 90 pitches last night and they needed his six innings last night. And the good thing about this series for the Braves is, if you look and there's a double header today, so Ronnie will only play probably the night game tonight, Ronnie not going to probably play coming off of a a late night last night. Not going to play the day game today. But you have four games in three days. You got a doubleheader, but you got all of your top guys. So you've got Freed, you've got Morton, you got Kyle Wright, you got Ian Anderson. Got those four guys going. They don't have Scherzer pitching. They used Scherzer on Sunday night, and now he's, you know, he's out for this series, obviously. So everything lines itself up for the Braves. But last night was so critical – that you got down, you didn't panic, Freed didn't panic, he showed you why he's an ace, and he worked his way through around some jams, and he got you six innings of six strikeouts and no walks last night, and only the two runs that he gave up early. Didn't give up any more runs, and shorten up the game for your bullpen. And your bullpen, yeah, Matt's a couple walks, not very good, and base runner's on, but McHugh comes in in such a, you know, what reminded you of like a playoff situation. Here's a chance for the Mets to get right back in this thing, right? Bases loaded, two outs. You bring McHugh in and he shuts the door down. And that was what the Braves did so well last year, especially in the playoffs is just when you thought a team was ready to come back, Braves come in there and just throw the gas and they put out that fire, you know, and and just take care of business last night. So I don't think you can underestimate how good of a win that was. Now, they got to build off of it, right? Here's a perfect opportunity that you came in and you kicked the Mets right in the phenopolies last night and on their home field, and they're feeling good about themselves, and the Braves had kind of stunk it up, to be honest with you. I mean, Marlins, Cubs, and Rangers, you're four and five against those three dregs? I don't care if the Marlins are above 500. They're not a good team. And they got a bunch of ham jabrones that are, Running around out there, a bunch of metagons that are just trying to find their way through Major League Baseball. But you didn't handle your business against the bad teams. And now this series becomes important. And we talked about this that this four game stretch important for the Braves. This is a chance to get right. And you did the, the thing you needed to do. You didn't get down 0 1 in this series and have to fight your way. And let's try, to, you took it right to the Mets. You didn't panic. You got some clutch hitting. You got a gutty performance out of Max Freed. Your bullpen came through and had a couple of kind of scary moments, but they came through. Jansen comes in and shuts down the door in the ninth and you rock and roll. And now go out today and worst case scenario, split the doubleheader. You know, Ronnie probably, again, won't play the first game, but go in there and split the doubleheader. And then you regroup on Wednesday, take three out of four. And I'm telling you, you do that, and you've completely gut-punched the Mets for all of this. So great win last night. Good job by the Braves. All right. We, uh, of course, appreciate the fact that you listen to Hitting Hard with John Chuckery as your first listen every day. But also make your second listen, ATL Day 1s. My guy Jarvis Davis, my girl Tanitra Batiste. Speaking of the heart of the city of Atlanta, a couple of friends just talking Hawks, Falcons, Braves, Georgia Bulldogs, everything in the world of Atlanta sports. Step in the conversation, stay a while, ATL Day 1s part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, and of course, free and available on YouTube and wherever you listen to your podcast. We thank you so much. We ask you to subscribe to our YouTube channel, Locked On Sports Atlanta. Find it, subscribe, review, tell us what you think. Follow me on my Twitter page at JMCH316. Hope everybody has a great day. We'll be back with you tomorrow morning. This has been Hitting Hard with John Chukri on Locked On Sports Atlanta.